0: All right. If you got your Bibles, you might as well go ahead and mark it and uh, get ready to stay there for uh, several several weeks to First Timothy, and we'll be starting a new study tonight. And it is exciting for me. I love doing this. I don't know if that rubs off on you guys, but I love starting new books. Uh, I think it's exciting. It's almost like going on a trip for me and I just uh, spend weeks and weeks and weeks preparing for it and studying it and packing it all together and now I get to come out here and start it with you guys and preach it to you. And I want you to know that I don't just pick First Timothy or any of the books that I pick to preach. Uh, just haphazardly throwing it out there and saying, okay, which book do we want to do now? There's always a reason. There's always some reason that, I, that it's in my heart, on my mind, that I choose the books that I do. I've told you that I choose the Gospels because I love Jesus, and I love walking with Him and hearing from Him, and I love seeing His life and the miracles He performed and the works that He did and the words that He said. I, I love the Gospels, and that's, that's the main reason that we do that. So You say, Josh, why First Timothy? And my reason for 1 Timothy is because I see a whole lot of churches today. Facebook has made it available to us to where we can literally almost walk inside of every church in our area and see what's going on. And I see a lot of churches, not just on Facebook, but all, all around us. And, and I see a lot. And what I see in a lot of churches is, and I'm going to be very careful with this, and I say when I'm going to be careful, it's usually not very careful at all. But what I see in a lot of churches is very wrong. It's not right. And and so I want to correct it, not just all the other churches. I want to make sure that we're not wrong. I'm not trying to correct all the churches out there because I know they're not going to be watching this. They're not going to hear this. But I want to make sure that of all the churches that are all out there, and, and many of them are wrong and doing things wrong and not doing things according to the Bible, I want to make sure that that's not us. I want to make sure that we're doing it right. I think a church that does it right by God's word is a church that God blesses. So that's what I want to do in this study and starting tonight. I think we need to hear what God says to His church. So tonight's sermon, the title of it is God's Word for the Church. And not just God's Word for the Church, but God's Word for the Church today. This is what God wants from His church today. Today. So we're going to go through this, we're going to go verse by verse, we're going to look at two verses tonight, and it's going to take us several weeks to work our way through six chapters, and I want us to learn it, I want us to know it, I want to get to get every word, I want to throw it to go inside and out, I want you to know, and me to know, what God wants out of His church. So let's stand together, and I want to read the first two verses, and this will just kind of... Be a starting point for us tonight as, as we jump into this book and I'm going to do my best to explain it and, and maybe we'll understand this, just the, this is what they call the greeting in the first two verses. So I want to read it to you. First Timothy chapter one, verse one. And it says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to read another verse to you. Jump with me over to chapter 3, verse 14. And I would circle these. This is the purpose statement of the book. This is why Paul wrote it. It says in verse 14, These things I write unto you. You see that? He's got a reason. Hoping to come to you shortly, unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, Here's why he's writing, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and it is the pillar and the ground of the truth. So that's the purpose statement, that's why he's writing it. So today we'll look at the author, we'll look at the uh, the recipient, and we'll look at the purpose of why he wrote the book. So let's go ahead and we'll pray together, and we'll read and we'll study God's word for the church today. Father, we thank you for this letter. I love this letter, First Timothy. I love Second Timothy. I love Titus. I love that you've given us three pastoral epistles, that you haven't just left us hanging so that we'd have to do church on our own and figure it out in our own way. And every church in the world would be trying it different and doing things in a different way. But you've laid it out very clearly what you want from us and what you expect from your church. And so, God, I think these are neglected books. I don't think people really care how church is done. But I know that you care. Three whole letters in the New Testament saying, here's how church is to be done. This is your church. This is the church that you bought with your own blood. So I pray, God, that you'd help us to do it right. Teach us these things, not just tonight, but throughout the rest of the study, that we may know what you want from your church. It's not our church. It's your church. Teach us how it's to be done. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In the 1970s, and and I'll say in the 1970s, but I think it's still true today, but in the 1970s, McDonald's ruled the fast food market. And I say they rule the fast food market today because my kids absolutely love McDonald's and really no other fast food. I've told you before, every time we drive by one, they want to stop at McDonald's. But in the 1970s, there was really no other competition for McDonald's, and every other fast food restaurant was trying their best to compete with McDonald's. So Burger King had a, kind of had a, a little powwow with their executives trying to figure out how can we compete with McDonald's. And they come up with a great idea, a little a slogan that they had, and, and here was their slogan. Maybe you guys remember it. I wasn't lie for it. But here was their, their big idea to, to compete with McDonald's. And their big idea was have it your way. McDonald's made their food, and you just had to order it, and they'd give it to you. And they said, we'll do different. We'll let everybody who drives through pick whatever they want to go on their hamburger. They can have it their way. And they come up with a jingle, and I'm not going to sing it to you, but here's the jingle. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders, it won't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. So that was their jingle. And I believe that that maybe didn't uh, put Burger King above McDonald's, but what it did do is it changed the world. It now made businesses cater to the customer. It now made the the, the the businesses to be consumer-driven. If if you're happy with our product, then you'll come back, and we'll be popular and we'll be successful. So now it's a uh, the the uh, whatever you want is what we'll give you. And it not just changed. It didn't just change the world. It changed the church. See, we now have it a have in churches a have-it-your-way church. A church that caters to the people in the pews. A church that is consumer-driven. A church that is seeker-sensitive. A church that, if you're happy, as long as the people in the pews are happy, then you'll come back, our pews will be full, our offerings will be full, everybody will be happy, let's just make you happy and give you what you want. I even created a little jingle for the t- church today. Hold the sermon, hold the sin, make it fun, and we will come in. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said there would be a day like this when instead of feeding the sheep, we'd be entertaining the goats. And that's the church that we're, doing, we're having today, a have-it-your-way church where it creates anything goes in the church as long as it draws a crowd. That's what we have today, and I, I see it everywhere. I, it's all over the place where even today in Big Stone Gap you have a coffee house church. Just come in. We'll have some coffee. We'll, we'll do it uh, your way. We'll do, do it whatever you want to do it. Whatever pleases you will be fine. We have online church. We have pop-up churches. There's a brand new church back here in the old West End. Just popping up ever, everywhere. It's almost like we have a a Build-A-Bear church in our in America today, where people go in and if you've ever been to Build-A-Bear, you go in and and the customer says, "I want my bear this way, and I can add this hat and this shirt, and and I can put this on it, and I can make it this name, and do all these different things to it." And now we've got a build a church where people come in and they, they they just I'll add this and I'll add this and I'll I'll add this and and, and it's anything goes in the church today. And I say, wouldn't it be nice? If somewhere God had said, somewhere, if God had given us a letter that said, here's what I want. And you can't do it your way, you must do it my way. Because I believe that the church needs to be not have it your way, I believe it needs to be have it God's way. Whatever God says is how we should do church. We shouldn't be catering to people, we should be catering to God. So wouldn't it be nice if God said, here's your letter, here's how I want it. Give us some guidance. Well, God didn't just give us one letter. He gave us three. Here's how I want church is what he's saying. These are called pastoral letters. God gave us three of them. First Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus. Again, they're called pastoral letters and they, they contain very, very practical instructions for how God wants his church to go. And it's not just for pastors, it's for all the church so that everybody sitting in the pews and the, the pastor who's preaching can say, I know what God wants from his church. And out of those three, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, there's one that stands out as the main letter on the church. And that's the one we're teaching tonight. 1 Timothy. This letter has more to say about the church than any other letter in the entire New Testament. This letter will tell us what the women's role in the church is, should be. That'll be a fun sermon. This letter tells us what the qualifications of a pastor is. It should be a fun sermon. If a pastor doesn't meet the qualifications that God gives, then he's not a pastor. Churches need this. It gives us the qualifications of deacons. It gives us warnings about false teachers. It tells us how to deal with widows. It tells us how to spend money. This is God's instructions. And that's just a a few of the things that are in here. And, And this is God's instructions for the church. This is what God wants. This is church according to God. Church catered to God. And it's timeless. This isn't just for one church in one period of time. This is for all churches in all time. And if we want to call ourselves a church, we must follow the biblical pattern of a church. If you don't follow the biblical pattern of a church, you have no right to call yourself a church, call yourself something else. So we're going to look at it, and I believe this, and I want you to believe it, that the closer we follow this, the better we'll be as a church. So let's look at it, let's hear God's word to the church today. I only have two points for you. I want to show you the greeting to the church and the goal of the church. Just two two points. I had somebody tell me last week when I preached two points. Josh, we'd rather have three. You preach longer in two points than you do in three. So we have two points. <laughs> I'm going to start with the greeting. I'm going to start with verses one and two. And then we'll move over and preach verses 14 and 15 in chapter three. But I want to start with the greeting the greeting to the church. And then the goal of the church. So we have the greeting of the church right here in verse one. And I want you to understand we're not going to skim over the greeting. A lot of times people skim over it and they, and they jump straight into the meat of the letter in verse 3. And and I, I thought about that. And, I, and and a lot of the commentaries that I read, they, they would just give a little bit of information on the first two verses and, and jump deep into, into verse 3 and give all the other information. But I, I think there's a lot that we need in the first verse, two verses, in, in this greeting. And it starts with the, the first word. It starts with Paul. And that should stand out to us. That should jump out at us. That should be in big letters. We love Paul. I feel like Paul is one of my best friends. (laughs) I read everything he he wrote. I know a lot about him. And here we have Paul. So we see who wrote it. And and he's a giant of the faith. He's the one that's taking the pen and writing this out on paper. This is from Paul. He's the author. He's writing this about 64 A.D., He's been released from prison, and he is in his mid-60s. He's an older man. And then he describes himself here. And a lot of commentators were spending pages trying to figure out who wrote this letter. And I'm I'm thinking, why would you do that? It says the first word of the book, Paul. Now, who is he? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. That's a big statement. The word apostle here means, and has great meaning to it, one that is sent by. It is an ambassador of. Someone who is sending you to do something is an an apostle. And Paul's an apostle with a capital A. means that he was sent personally by God and chosen uniquely by God to go and do something. So he's giving us his authority here. Paul, an apostle of who? Jesus Christ. The chosen representative of Jesus Christ is writing this letter. Are you with me on that? That's giving this letter a little oomph, right? If this said Josh, a preacher in Big Stone Gap, (laughs) it wouldn't mean nearly as much as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That apostle word is a big deal. Paul, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Paul, the one sent by Jesus Christ. Paul, the one chosen by Jesus Christ. Paul, the representative of Jesus Christ. And I want you to follow with me on that. That's a a big deal. And then he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who who he is. And now he's writing by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been told to write this. There's a command for him to write this. Paul's writing as a sent one with a command from God. It's getting even more authority. It's getting even more power behind it. hes It's it's a strong word. This word command comes in, in the form of an order from a king. It's like God came down and said, Paul, I want you to write this and send this to Timothy. It's coming from God Himself. That's why I said a word from God. I know Paul's writing it, but he's saying here, this comes from God. I'm sent by Jesus, commanded by God. And I love that he puts God our Savior and Jesus Christ in the same sentence. As if they are one. Nobody else can put in that sentence with God. I mean, Can you imagine God our Savior and Billy Graham? (laughs) It don't go go together. God our Savior and, and, and John MacArthur? No. The only name that goes in that sentence is God our Savior and Jesus Christ. Which is our hope. So I want you to see just at the outset of this that this is not a human letter. This is a letter from God. This is is why I want you to get the greeting. Paul is saying here in, in very few words, these are orders from the sovereign of the universe. Don't treat this like a human letter. This is not my opinion on what the church should be. This is a command coming from God. And this is exactly what Timothy needed. Timothy was, I'll say this several times in the letter, he was young, he was timid. And this letter right here would make him stand up in front of a congregation and say, here's what God says. And they'd listen. And he would stand up and he'd say, this isn't what Timothy says. This isn't even what Paul says. This is what God says to our church. This is God's Word to the church at Ephesus. This is God's Word to the church in the 1st century, in the 2nd century, and, and, and in the 15th century. And here we are today. This is God's Word to the church today. This isn't Josh's Word. This isn't what I think. It's not my opinion or Timothy's opinion. This comes from God. This is what we need today. It's as if God delivered a letter and Paul is just the the mailman and God says, here's what I want from the church. Like it or not. So it's from God. That's what I would say in verse 1. You say, summarize verse 1. It's from God. From God to Paul to who? Watch this. Verse 2. Unto Timothy. So see, see where the letter's coming from? It starts with God. God is the one who chose Paul, God is the one who made Paul the apostle, and, and, and he's the one who's, who commanded Paul to write this. And now Paul is going to write this to Timothy, who is again the pastor at Ephesus. Timothy is the second pastor at Ephesus, Paul was the first. Paul planted the church that he's he's pastoring. Paul was there with Timothy for three years. And when Paul left, he handed the keys to the church off to Timothy. Timothy's young. It says in in, in chapter 4, verse 12, I like this. Let no man despise thy youth. And the word youth there puts him, this is good. It puts him in his mid-30s or even right around 40. So I consider myself a very young man. (laughs) to be young then wasn't 19 or 20 it wasn't in your mid-20s this was 35 to 40 years old he's a young pastor so paul's writing this to timothy a very young man and timothy again very timid very hesitant and he's having some problems here i think he was even we'll talk about this next week i think timothy was even trying to leave the church I think Timothy was looking for another church. I think he was having such a hard time at this church that he's saying, I need to find me a church down the road to go pastor. That's a little bit easier than this one. You say, prove that to me. Look look at verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, I want you to stay where you are, Timothy. Don't you dare leave there. Stay where you are. So Timothy's having a hard time. So this is encouraging. He's getting a letter from Paul saying, here's what God says. I'm handing it to you, Timothy. And Timothy, again, let's let's watch it. It goes from God to Paul to Timothy. And who's Timothy? Let's let's look at this. He says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. I love that statement. It's not his son. He's not his boy. He's his son in the faith. Paul had personally led Timothy to the Lord. Paul had taught Timothy and trained Timothy. Paul would say here that he was like a son to me. And I believe when when, Timothy would, when when Paul would write this and say he's like a son in the faith to me, he loves Timothy so much that there's almost a tear coming down his eye as he's writing. it, And as Timothy opens up this letter to read it, and he reads, Timothy's like a son to me, that a tear would go down Timothy's face. I believe they were together thick and thin, and they loved each other. He'd been with Paul for 20 years. This is a good way of saying, good time of applying, that discipleship takes years, not minutes. 20 years Timothy had been with Paul. 20 years he taught him. 20 years he trained him. And now he says, my own son in the faith, I've left you to pastor that church, and I know you're having a hard time right now. Timothy's Paul's replacement. He's the next in line. And when he says that he's his own son in the faith, he's saying, Timothy reflects me in every single way. So when Timothy gets up there to read this letter, you look at Timothy just like you'd look at me. He knows my doctrine. He knows my teaching. He knows my will. He knows my desires. He knows how Paul likes to do things. Watch this. I, I want to read you a few verses. I, I know we're just in the, in the greeting, but Philippians 2. Let me tell you what he says about him. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. There's no man in the world more like me than Timothy is. I think Timothy's young again and timid and there's probably some older people in the church that are mistreating him and not listening to him and he needs a little bit of authority when he stands up so he's got a letter that comes from God and he's got, a, uh, he's, he's got the stamp of approval on his life from Paul himself so when he stands up to read this letter they're saying, oh boy, we need to listen to this guy and that's not the only place I'm going to read you another place 1 Corinthians chapter 4 You need to know who Timothy is if we're going to study 1 Timothy. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of Me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timothy, who is My beloved Son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of My ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. I'm sending you Timothy because he knows everything that I know and he's going to bring that to your remembrance just like I would. It's as if... I'm there when Timothy's there. That's a a big deal. That's a big statement. I told my kids that. Steph called me one day. She said, boys are being mean. Homeschools are having a hard time. They don't listen to me like they listen to you. You, When you say it, they, they say, okay, yes, sir. When I say it, they say, okay, just a minute, mom. And I walked into the house and I looked at my boys and I said, when mom tells you to do something, it's just as if dad said it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what Paul's saying here. You better listen to Timothy. He's my own son in the faith. So let's look at it again. Just just real quick. It comes from this letter here. 1 Timothy comes from God, and you've got a church that's out of control, and they need to hear this as Paul, as Timothy stands up to read this letter to the church, and he's going to correct them and put them in place. Here's where women should be. Here's false teachers need to be kicked out of the church. We're going to look at that next week that he tells, Paul tells Timothy, get rid of the false teachers. He's going to run them out. Here's what a pastor's qualifications should be. Here's a deacon's qualifications. Here's how to use money. And if Timothy stood up out there on his own with his own opinion and his own ways, they sit there and say, oh, that's just Timothy. He's young. He don't know nothing. We don't have to listen to him. But when this letter comes from God to Paul, to Timothy, who's his son of the faith, everybody in the pews are going to be saying, we better listen up. That's a big deal. Paul didn't just throw a greeting out there like, like, dear church. No. Paul. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment, a royal order of the King of God our Savior, the Sovereign of the universe and the Lord Jesus Christ who is our only hope. I didn't even talk about that which is our hope. God our Savior. That's a big statement. Nero used that statement for himself. He called himself the Savior and the hope of of the Roman world. So Paul is setting it aside and saying, no, Jesus is the Savior and the hope of the world. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And I'll close this point with grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm praying for you guys. I want you guys to have, and I've been praying for this for, for our church. Ever since I started studying this letter. I don't think there's anything more you'd ever want in a church. But grace and mercy and peace from God. So he says I want you to have grace and mercy and peace. I want you to have grace and mercy and peace. And I don't believe it's just something. And God can just supernaturally show us grace and mercy and peace. But I believe when he prays. I want you to have grace and mercy and peace. Grace and mercy and peace. He's saying the The more you follow this letter that I'm writing, the more grace and mercy and peace you'll have. You with me on that? It's not just a prayer randomly thrown out to say, God, would you please show them grace and mercy and peace? We can do that. But I believe as a church, for them and for us, the closer we follow this, God's order for the church, the more grace and mercy and peace that he'll have in our church. And I believe the opposite would be true, that the less we do these things and the further we stray from God's order for the church, the less grace and mercy and peace we'll have in our church. So we want to follow the order that God has for the church so that we'll have grace and mercy and peace. So that's the first two verses. That's the greeting to the church. Now I want to take you to the next one. One more point and we'll we'll close. I think Evan said I said I was going to close ten times this morning before I actually closed. <laughs> I told him that no man knows the day or the time that I'll close. <laughs> Only God in heaven knows when Josh is going to close a sermon. So I have one more. I have the greeting to the church. That's the first two verses. And I could have jumped in and done, done a few more verses, but I, I wanted to give you the goal for this letter. We have the greeting of the letter, and then we have the, the goal for the letter. And in verse 14, he tells us why he wrote this whole letter. And that's, that's, that's six chapters, why he wrote it. And when you have a purpose statement, we need to start out with that. Here's why Paul wrote this. He says here in verse 14, these things I write unto you. I mean, he's telling us, here's why I'm writing. So he says, these things write I unto you. I hope to come to you shortly, you see that? I want to come and say these things to you face to face. I want to come there and and Timothy can have a seat on the front row and I'll get up there and I'll tell you these things myself. That's what he wanted. He's in his mid-60s. He's going to die after he finishes 2 Timothy. They'll cut his head off and he'll be gone. I think he dies about 67 years old, so he may have three Four years left at most. So he's saying, I want to come there shortly. I want to be there with you. I want to say these things face to face. I want to put you in your place myself. But if I don't make it, you see here, I want to come to you quickly. I want to be there shortly. But if I tarry long, if I don't make it, I'm writing this letter to you so you can do it yourself. And here's what I want you to do. Here's the whole purpose of the letter. That thou mayest know how to do church and how to view church. The whole purpose, and I would write this down. The whole purpose of this letter is to show us how to do church and how to view the church. I'll say that one more time. The whole purpose of this letter is how to, for us to know, how to do church and how to view the church. And I think there's two things there that most people in our, in our church world don't know. Most people in churches don't know how to do church and most view the church wrong. So he shows us here, and I'm just going to give you those, these two things and we'll, and we'll close. There's number, the second time i told you that. He says, but if I tarry long that you may know how, here we go, how to behave yourself in church. That's how to do church. It says there how to behave yourself in the house of God. That's pretty simple. How to do church. And this isn't behavior. That word there isn't what I tell my kids. That when they walk into the church, we're in the church. Here's how you behave. Here's the etiquette. Here's the, the right things to do and the, the wrong things to do. And I'll do that on Sunday mornings. I'll have my kids running around the foyer. And they'll be throwing things at each other. And I'll say, that's not how you behave in the church. You behave here. You're the pastor's kids. There's a way to behave. That's not the word that he uses here. This would be how to conduct the church. How to do church. Here's how to do things. Here's how to order things. Here's God's rules. Here's God's directions. Every house has rules. I've seen those things on the, on, on people's houses that say house rules. No cussing, no fussing. <laughs> Good rules. Every house has rules. Understand this. God's house has rules. God gives us the rules. Here's how to do church. How to keep order. And it shows us a valuable lesson. And we'll learn it over six chapters. How to do church. There's a right way to do church. Church. And there's a wrong way to do church. And that is an out there statement today that most people don't believe. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. There's God's way and there's everybody else's way. And he's going to tell us that. There's rules. We can't do church however we want. We can't pop a church up anywhere we want. We can't throw anybody we want behind a pulpit. There's a way to do church. There's roles. There's a way for men to act in church and roles for men in church. And there's also roles for women in church. Most people don't like to hear that today. But it's in the book. I can read it to you now. Verse 9. Let's go ahead and give me some trouble. In like manner. Also, women ought to do this. Adorn themselves in modest apparel. Shamefacedness. Sobriety. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Let women learn in silence with all subjection. I suffer not. Again, this is Timothy standing up and saying, Paul told me to say this. And, and Paul's saying, God told me to say this. Look what it says. I suffer not a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. That's God's order for the church. There's qualifications. Get this. If a man desire the office of a pastor, in verse 3, or chapter three, verse one. It's a good work, but a pastor better be blameless. He better be the husband of one wife. He better be vigilant. He better be sober. He better be of good behavior. And then it goes on and on and on. Not a drinker. Not a striker. Not greedy of money. And if he's not this, he's not a pastor. You got a lot of people standing in pulpits in churches all across Big Stone Gap, Wise County, Virginia, in the country, who are not qualified to preach from the pulpit. And all they have to do is read First Timothy. It's not that hard. There's a way to deal with false teachers. And it's not to coddle them and let them go. I, I, I can give you that. We'll preach on that t- next week. He says there, watch this. Verse 3 of chapter 1. I beseech you, stay where you are. Stay in Ephesus. When I went into Macedonia, that, that man has charged some that they don't teach any other doctrine. I want you to te- jump all over them, Timothy. In Verse 20 says, I told Hymenaeus and Alexander to get out of there. They were delivered under Satan. There's a way to deal with false teachers in the church. There's a way to handle money. We'll talk about that. I don't want to keep going through all these things because I told you I was almost done and I'm not. There's, there's a way to honor the elders and to counsel younger women and to honor your masters and to, and to handle your money and to have priorities in the church. There's a way to do church and you don't have to do it that way and you don't have to agree with the way that we do it. But you better not call yourself a church if you don't do it God's way. I don't care if you have a steeple. I don't care if... How's it go? Here. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, you may have all kinds of people, but if you don't do it God's way, you're not a church. That's just the bottom line. You have no right to call yourself a church if you ain't going to do church the way God said to do church. There's a whole lot of churching going on, but there's not a whole lot of it being done God's way. So we're going to set some things in order, right? And our church may be in order. We may be doing it the right way. We try our best. But if anywhere in this book we're not doing it the right way, then we need to fix it so that we'll get more grace, mercy, and peace from God. So he tells us how to do church. And it must be done God's way. And then the second thing I've already told you, a way to view church. I think there's a lot of people in our culture that have no idea how to view the church. They have such a faulty view of what the church is. I'm I'm, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken by how people, how lowly the views of the church are in our culture. I'm heartbroken by the way people talk about church. Heartbroken by the way people prioritize the church. I don't think people view church the way it ought to be viewed. I'm very careful about how I talk about the bride of Christ. I hear. I want to be careful. I want to be loving, but I want to be a shepherd. And a shepherd has one voice for the sheep and another voice for the wolves. And I need to be able to have both voices. There's a lot of people even in the church who talk wickedly about God's bride. And you need to be very careful when you do that. Pastors that walk away from the church just because they got mad, and they will talk upside, one upside and down the other about how bad the church is. So how do we view the church? He uses us three pictures here. Very similar to Ephesians 2 we talked about a few weeks ago. Verse 15, he says, how you ought to behave, conduct yourself in the house of God. See, the first one he says, he calls the church the house of God. I have no problem calling the church the house of God. I've had people tell me you should never call the church the house of God. That's just brick and mortar and wood and, and carpet. And, but God called it the house of God. And then God called it, What? Well, watch this, how thou to behave thyself in the house of God. And then watch, watch what he says, which is the church of the living God. That's another great one. It's the living God's house. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. That there was a temple of Diana in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the world that had 130 pillars all the way around it and they were 60 foot high. It was made of marble and gold and it held up the temple of Diana which was a a grotesque false god. Dead, non-existent god. So when, when Paul says this, he says, the place where you're at is the place of the living God. Not some dead idol that is grotesque and nasty and non-existent. Something made with hands. You're a part of a church of the living God. It's a big deal. So he says it's a house of God. It's the church of the living God. The living God's assembly. The living God's people. Where God meets with His people in a a special way. A place where there ought to be awe and reverence and even expectation when you show up. This is where God meets with His people. This is how you view church. Paul says that. You're viewing church wrong. It's the place of the living God. And then he gives the last one and I'll close. Third time I've said that. He says it's the pillar and ground of truth. There's a big poster back there in the foyer, and I've had it out there for about three years. Big tall. I thought about putting it up here tonight. And it's a poster of a big, it's probably six and a half feet tall. And the whole poster is nothing but a a big column. And at the bottom of it, it says, the pillar and ground of truth. You say, what does that mean? It's telling us what a pillar does. It holds something up. So that's what pillar is we were looking downstairs one time at, at a wall in the children's church room we to had so many kids down there we, we was like we're gonna have to break that wall down and open up the room and have more room for all the kids that we have and we had a contractor come in and he started filling of it these 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 columns in the wall he said no this is load-bearing this holds up your office I said leave it <laughs> we'll find another place for the kids It was load-bearing. It held something up. It held my office up. That's what a pillar is. holds something up. So the question there for for us is, what does the church hold up? (laughs) It's the pillar and ground of what? We hold up the truth. The church is to be, and I think we've lost this in our culture, the church is to be the place of truth. The church is to be the place where truth is found. The church is to be not where opinions are found. I've had people jump on to me just recently that I don't talk enough about politics, and I said, I'll just be giving you my opinion. I can give you my opinion, but I'm not going to stand behind this pulpit, which is a sacred desk, and give you my opinion. We hold up the truth of the Word of God here, the truth of nothing but the truth. We're a pillar and ground of truth. We don't hold up the opinions of man. When I say hold up, I know you're thinking of a, of a pillar, but in my mind, I'm thinking of this right here. That we hold this up. That when people come here, they don't hear me hold up my opinion. They don't hear me hold up and see how creative we are. They come here, and that's why people will come here. And that's the only reason why they'll come here is because we are a church that holds up the truth of the Word of God. When everybody else goes somewhere else, and they're talking about something else, and they're doing some entertaining, and, and, some, and doing, sharing their opinions, and sharing their feelings, and they're doing all these other things, we know one church that's holding up the truth of the Word of God. That's what He says the church is. And we do it not because I want to do that, but because that's what God says the church is. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. We're not here for the creativity of man, or my innovation, or my wisdom. It's not a place for social justice issues. It's not a place for politics. It's not a place where we try to make the world a better place. It's a pillar and ground of the truth. Lewis Burkhoff said this, the church is the guardian of the truth. The church is a citadel of the truth. The church is the defender of truth over all the other enemies in the world who are coming against the kingdom of God and His truth. We defend the truth. We hold up the truth. We defend it. We preserve it. I'll hold this up until I can't hold it up anymore. and somebody's going to come along and it might be one of my boys and I'll hand it to them. You hold it up until your boy holds it up. And we'll pass it on down the generations. We're a church that is a pillar and ground of the truth. We defend it. We preserve it. We proclaim it. And I get jumped on too for how loud and sweaty I am. But I'll proclaim it from the rooftops. We're defenders of the truth. We lift high the truth. I'll hold it as high as I can. We, you know how we reference the Word of God here. We hold it so high. We stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We open it up and people see it. And they know we're sitting not under the preaching of a man, but the preaching of the Word of God. It's a pillar and ground of truth. We believe it here, don't we? Every word is true. From Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, we believe the Word of God. We study it here. You better believe we do. I'll preach for an hour. I went for an hour and seven one Sunday. And people will sit there and say, Preach it on." We love the truth here. We preach it. We live it. This is our mission, our purpose. And it comes straight from God to Paul, to Timothy, and right into my hands here tonight. We have the truth. And we best not forget why we exist. A pillar and ground of the truth. And it's become... Everything but this. It's become a music hall to make people feel better. Nothing wrong with music, but it's not a pillar and ground of truth. It's become an entertainment hall for people to come and have drama and have lights and fog. That's alright. Do your thing. But we're not here to entertain the goats. We're here to feed the sheep. It's become a social club where people come and meet around a cup of coffee. And you know me, I love a cup of coffee. But we ain't come here for a cup of coffee. We come here for the truth. I'm grieved by what the church has become. I'm angry over what the church has become. All these things that the church has become will crumble and fall when society begins to crumble and fall. But when we hold up the truth, we will stand when everybody else falls. That's why we'll stand. That's why we'll stand in the evil day. That's why we'll stand when everybody else is taking a knee. That's why we'll stand when everybody else is, is falling away. Because we're standing on the Word of God. This is a great reminder for us. That God's Word to the church today is, Make my church the pillar and ground of truth. We love the truth. I wrote down some things about the truth. The Word of God is alive Don't you want to preach something that's alive? I don't want to preach a dead book. has no power. I want to preach a living and active book. It's active. It's it's alive. It's eternal. It's inerrant. There's not an error one in this book. It's infallible. It's like fire that it consumes. It's like a mirror. And when you open it up, it sees you and knows you better than you know yourself. It's like a hammer. The world hammers the Bible, but the Bible hammers the world. It's perfect. It's pure. It's trustworthy. It's sufficient. We don't need anything else. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. (laughs) It's not a Q-tip or a feather that tickles people. It's a two-edged sword that cuts and divides both ways one more it's sweeter than honey don't you love it i can read it i can study it i can preach it i can turn to first timothy and i can say this is so exciting to open it up and see what god says to the church today and you walk away and say that that was sweet to my taste let me close with a quote and I'll, i'll close here Steve Lawson preached a sermon a a while back, and I listened to it at least once a week. (laughs) And you guys know I love Steve Lawson. And he said this. He preached a sermon on the Word of God and for the church to be called back to preaching the Word of God. And he said this. He was preaching at a shepherd's conference to a bunch of preachers. He was preaching to me. He says, I call you this day pastors to wield the sword to spread the flame to swing the hammer and stop with the secular wisdom in the pulpit cancel the entertainment in the church fire the drama team get rid of the stick unplug the colored lights and put the pulpit back in the center of the room men stand up like a man open up your bible lift it up let it out and let it fly It is the invincible power of the inerrant and the infallible Word of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what God says for the church today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word to the church tonight. And I thank You that we'll be getting more of this in the weeks to come. I can't wait to preach the next four verses. Um, It's going to be fun. Next week we'll talk about protecting the house. And I pray, God, that the people in the pews would be just as excited about it as I am. And I pray that you'd put us in order. I'm not up here to say that we have everything right, because I don't, I don't know that we do. But we're opening up this book, and when we open this book, we're opening up our church and our own hearts and saying, God, put us in order. Where we're wrong, correct us. Put us in order. And I pray that you do that through this book. That our church would have grace and mercy and peace from God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Please, please help us to be the church that you want us to be. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.